Hello, my name is Kate Brennan-Harding and um, you are listening to a brand new podcast series that myself and Orla Vaughan have decided to create. Orla, I'm sitting in your kitchen here in Kilfenora. How are you? I'm fantastic, Kate. Nearly at the end of uh, the lockdown, we're getting out and about again, which is great. And the reason that you and I can sit face to face, because yeah. uh, we've been doing a lot of communicating over Zoom and the telephone over the last couple of months. But uh, it's great to finally see you. It's lovely to see you too, especially after like it's been a number of years since yes, we've seen each other. Yeah, yeah. It was strange though when you arrived last night and we both went kind of lunged toward each other to hug and then went, we still can't do that. Yeah. Okay, step back, step back. Yeah, step it is back. such a, a strange thing. It's like these COVID connections yeah. and COVID reconnections. And I suppose this kind of brings us on to we have come together to do this podcast called... <laughs> we haven't got a name for the podcast yet the podcast takes on a very serious tone yes because it's a serious topic yes but it doesn't mean that we have to be serious with it all the time i don't think you and i would work being serious all the time no i think it would be an absolute unmitigated disaster but anyway more to the point what we're talking about over this series is childhood trauma and childhood sexual abuse um for me, it's a really personal topic because it's something that I have spoken about happening to me. And it is something that I feel an awful lot of us would benefit from um, removing shame and stigma around abuse, um, putting the shame back on perpetrators, putting the shame back where it belongs and putting to yourself back together in a lot of ways. Now, that doesn't mean to say that I think anyone who has dealt with abuse is broken. I'm not a broken person. I'm whole and complete. But I've had fractures happen in my life and those fractures I have learned where to place them but I have found that an awful lot of my life uh, decisions were made because of trauma because I was constantly avoiding being re-traumatized so I've been doing an awful lot of work on myself I'm a childline advocate as well which I know we're just going to chat, chat to me about and I have no qualifications other than my experience and I think both Orla and myself want to absolutely say to the to our listeners that we will be providing details of places to go to if you need support. But this podcast, the main aim is to find your people. Find your people and know that you're not silenced and you're not alone. Brilliant. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, for me too, during this period, uh, unprecedented period in, in world history where we've been talking about roadmaps maps to recover, I want to go back to Kate's point. There is no expertise here. There is personal opinion and personal experience. There is no correct way to survive or be a victim of abuse. Yep. It's a very, very individual story. It's a very, can be a very, very lonely place to be. Mm. And I think the passion for me behind working with you, Kate, on this is that that's not fair. Mm -hmm. That's not fair on the person who has been abused. We can no longer... Uh, stand by and say god love them how do they get up in the morning their life is over their their life is ruined that 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 language does not belong to the survivor or the victim of abuse that language should belong with the perpetrator and the shame and and everything that goes along with that should belong to them yeah and i hope that what we can achieve uh through the next few episodes and through this entire podcast is to let's start that conversation let's take the shame out of it let's as Kate said to me so many times when we were talking let's stand shoulder to shoulder on this um, and know that if you are listening to this if you are a survivor if you're currently going through something 
very traumatic. We are here to stand with you. Yeah. Um, and that's very important that you know from the outset. That's exactly it, Orla. Like, you know, it's it's we've been trying to figure out how to do the podcast. And the beautiful thing about podcasts is we can talk about how we've been trying to figure out how to do this. And it's such a heavy subject matter. But exactly that it's 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 standing together. And I love what you said there about it being like so wrong that, you know, people have to carry this on their own. Often, because like, a lot of the abuse stuff that we will be talking about over the series will be familial abuse. And obviously there's abuse outside the home, etc. But the familial abuse means that somebody has to stand in their own family and outside themselves, other themselves, by being brave and stopping a pattern of abuse. I had to do that. And I know so many people who have had to do that. And I guess because Ireland is a country where we all know each other, it's really difficult to, to know everyone and then suddenly there's something that we don't want to see. It makes us uncomfortable. And what do we do? A lot of the time we run and hide from it. And what does that make us mean, those who have dealt with abuse? It makes us feel ashamed for speaking out. So this podcast is to rid us of that shame or do the best we can to rid us of that shame. Yeah, and I also find it interesting, and, and again, talking to you for the last couple of months about this, is that how the, the child becomes the adult to protect the adults from the discomfort of what's going on. Oh, yeah. And that it is mind-blowing as an adult now mm. um, to look at it that way. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think there's there's a lot to uncover. There, Guys, we will be giving supports. We will be giving numbers. We, you know, at the end of each podcast, um, it's a very difficult subject matter but it will be done in a very sensitive kind gentle, gentle humorous way mm. um and uh yeah i suppose let's just get into it kate completely yeah like we uh, you know like if you are listening to this podcast now and you think that maybe you're emotionally not in the space to listen to it come back to us you know switch off come back to us you're in charge of your um emotional well-being but if you listen to us, I think you'll find a place that you'll feel safe. Mm. And that's kind of what this podcast is about. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So we, we're going to crack on. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> You're going to put the kettle on. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely your turn to make tea. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, fine. Did you put enough water in there? I thought it was your bloody turn. I don't know why I'm still making the feckin' tea. I know it's my house, like, but Jesus. <laughs> Not my house, my whatever. Well, the tea is made. Doesn't look great now, if I'm to be honest with you, lads. That's because it's coffee, Orla. Oh, shit, okay. Um, I... <laughs> Dumb and dumber right again. <laughs> um, I suppose, Kate, we might tell people a little bit about ourselves, so I'll, yeah. I'll start. Um, I, well, Kate and I met a, a few years ago on a course in Dublin, Um. And we've stayed in touch ever since. Mm-hmm. I suppose the like the pandemic has brought a lot of people uh, closer together that have reconnected with one another. But um, I'm based down in a small village in County Clare called Kilfenora. Um, and I grew up in a pub here, uh, Vaughan's Pub, famous for a lot of things. Um, including an episode of Father Ted, where uh, which is not popular to talk about now, but the racist episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's not really a great time to be advertising that. Definitely not, no. And um, I ran a youth hostel here in the village and very involved in tourism. And just before um, all this happened uh, last year, late last year, my mum got quite sick. So I 
took over being her carer and she passed away in January. So I had sold my business to my brother and um, I'm footloose and fancy free and want a new direction and mm. want to, uh, I suppose, be true to myself and do stuff that I find that I'm passionate about and that I find interesting and that that I don't think I'm getting up to work every morning. Yeah. That I'm just getting up and it's wonderful. And uh, so the timing for me in relation to this was incredible. Um, and to, to get to reconnect with you, but also mm. to to help you on this next stage of your journey is a complete honor. So it's it's really... Well, I'm, like, I think when we met, like for me, I always thought we would work together or do something together. And it's kind of like, okay, this is what it is. Because this is so personal and such uh, like I've struggled with whether I should talk about this stuff. I've always been an advocate for the last like what, eight years I've been an advocate about talk, speaking out. And every time I do, I get the fear. Oh, my God, people are just going to pigeonhole me. I'm the person who was abused. I'm this, that and the other and how that would impact on my life. And what I've because it's so personal, what I've been getting lost in is how to how to I know there's something that I want to do around this. But I need a producer and I need someone to work with me on it and to go shut up Kate mm. and and also direct me and empower me and you're doing that. Yeah. So I think this is going to be a really good team, a team exercise. Yeah. And it, it, that's fantastic. But what we need to hear from you, Kate, mm. is who are you outside of this? Who am I outside of this? Yeah. Um, I am a radio producer, event manager, DJ. Uh, I'm a girlfriend. I am big sister. I worked in national radio for a number of years. I still do. I'm a contributor on RT Radio 1 now, as well as um, doing freelance work with them. I produced for my... One of the most maddest things I've done recently is produce the Dancing with the Stars podcast. So wow. totally separate to, like, I specialise in music. Um, so it was kind of a really amazing experience. Um, I give out and, and, and write about music on a lot of, uh, on a lot of platforms. And I am generally just kind of, like, bouncing around the world. Great. Yeah. I'm like you. I don't want to get up and be like, oh, my God, I have to go to work. Yeah. I want to get up and be like, is this work? Yeah. Yeah. And can you talk to me a little bit about your work with Childline, Kate? Yeah. Like, I think I had met you and I was starting to do stuff with them. Isn't that right? Yeah. It's around that timeline. So um, around the time. I think it was, sorry to interrupt you. I think yeah. it was around the time that funding was being pulled. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So funding was gone. They weren't going to be able to continue a nighttime service. Childline, uh, like... It came into existence in the 80s and I was a child that used Childline and I wrote about it because when I saw that it was losing funding and it was possibly going to be I think only eight hours a day during a time when kids aren't actually able to ring I was like this makes no sense so I posted on social media and Caroline O'Sullivan who's the head of the ISPCC um, I'm not so sure if her direct title actually sorry Caroline but uh, she contacted me and said would I go on radio for them they never get anybody talking about the fact that they used the service and I was like absolutely so I began working with them in that way and I was on you know various radio shows um George Hook uh Ryan Toberty Matt, da Matt Damon Jimmy Matt Cooper <laughs> <laughs> I was on Matt Damon's show there you know dream on there Kate <laughs> but um basically what came from that uh was I became a Childline ambassador and then uh, alongside a number of other people and it was a huge honour to give back to a service that I used. It was a huge honour to stand up. I didn't have to talk about what necessarily had happened to me. I just had to talk about how Chiline was there for me. How, on a few occasions in my life, it was an unbearable place to, to be. And I picked up the phone and I rang and I got to say some of the stuff that was happening to me. 
And that was all I needed. I just needed someone to hear that. From that work, um, I really also began to see how I wanted to make a difference. And like I suppose there's a story that was written about when I was on with Ryan Joberty, uh, an 80-year-old man rang Childline and uh, said, you know, he realised that he, he didn't, shouldn't really be ringing that service, but he'd heard me on the radio and he just said that he just needed to tell someone that he'd been abused when he oh was God. a child and that he'd never told anyone. So this woman who was running the switch line, who he got through to, came down the stairs in the, in the head office there to tell me that that had just happened. And being honest, I was having a bit of a disassociative out-of-body kind of thing because after talking on Tupperdee's show, I, I was kind of gone into just a, a different state of being because it is sort of putting yourself out there and then being vulnerable, and, you know. So it took a while for that story, for the story of the eight-year-old man to land with me. And it really empowers me. He inspired me and he inspires me every day. I don't know who he is and, you know, like I never know who he is. But because he chose to be able to break his silence, I know that speaking out makes a difference. I know that constantly speaking out takes a toll, but if it helps everybody else to start helping themselves, then that's something I think is really important. And that, that story is incredible and very, very moving. That, and I love the fact that the age the gentleman was and that he still found a safe place to phone and share his story because it's never, ever too late to share your story. You mm. need to, you don't, you don't, you're not to carry this on your own. That's just, it's, 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 it's not wrong for you to do it, but it's just not what you're meant to do. We're, there's people here for you. But what I'm interested in, what I want to go back to Kate, is that he heard you on the radio. Mm. What age, now we're in the age of the internet, where mm. everything is at the click of your fingers. What age were you, and how did, how did, how did Chiline come into your psyche? How did you know anything about this? So, when, I suppose there's two streams of things that are going on for me in my childhood. So, we might as well give a bit of a background. Mm. I had what looks like a very normal childhood. I had, um, quite middle class I suppose um early upbringing in terms of I went to Montessori my father was an accountant in Dublin had his own practice um I went to a very I suppose exclusive primary school and um I was you know happy I was doing speech and drama I was you know a really engaged kid a lot of the time but at the same time, I was carrying through the whole of my childhood the fact that my grandfather was sexually abusing me. So I don't know when that started. And I think there's an awful lot of people like me who are like, I really have no idea. And the more I try and think about it, the more I can really mess my head up. Do you know, it's just accepting, no, this did happen. I can put on some ages of, of it. And I know when it stopped because I spoke out. So I carried that with me probably from the age of five, maybe earlier. Um, I had a best friend in primary school who I spoke to about about it and who carried the story with me. And uh, when I think I was in maybe sixth class, Chiline started to be, I started to see Chiline adverts. Um, and like, you know, there would be the telethons and there would be, um, uh, you know, telephone boxes with the number in it. And I began to think, oh, um, maybe I could just ring them. Maybe that's what they're there for. And I did. I went and rang. I used a telephone box and called them. And I said that my grandfather was doing bad things. I didn't really say much more. I couldn't say much more. And but that and just just that as an option, it was like, I can tell adults. I can tell big people um, was huge. 
I used the service later on when I was a teenager um, around my parents separating and, and you know, the, the kind of trauma that I was experiencing around that at the time. But Childline originally, back then in that moment, was there are adults who will listen. And the fact that there were, that I, that just somewhere in my head I knew there are adults that will listen meant I knew that I could step out of it at some stage. You're then equating that to a child brain. And like, I don't know about you or love, but like when I think of myself at those ages, I kind of still feel I'm the same. Do you know? And it's like you forget you're a Mm. kid. You forget you're not an adult carrying these memories. This was happening to you as a child. And I found through therapy, reconnecting that part of me, reconnecting to the child has been a, a big benefit and I'd be the very first for years if someone said oh mind your inner child do this I would be and I'm going to use it I would be like oh fuck off do you know what I mean like a fucking inner child and all this bullshit it used to make me angry it used to make me ragey it used to make me feel like I'm not like other people I can't connect with my inner child what the hell are you talking about but actually what I've been doing is attachment um, therapy and what I've realised and just started laughing one day is that oh I am reconnecting. I'm understanding how small I was. That's all it is. It's not this inner child for me that's within me. It's I'm beginning to see eight-year-olds and go, that's how small I was. I'm beginning to see kids and equate and relate to them as that age. And that's really empowering because it's like, oh yeah, I wasn't an adult. And this was wrong and wasn't... I amazing actually and I don't really usually admit that but it wasn't I amazing to get Mm. through it and amazing to have friends to speak to about so many people hear that and they're like oh wow you know you had people to talk about I was still completely isolated and alone in my family yeah I carried that and it was a secret and I had a mask on my face for for all of us really do you know yeah that's um that's incredible um and I think too, and, and we've referred to this earlier, is is the child becoming the adult to protect the adults, or I I don't know because I, I have never been in your in in your space, but that that yeah, I just find I I find that just very moving. Um, the fact that you couldn't talk to anybody except for a stranger and that you're in a payphone and there's people listening to this going, what the fuck is a payphone? Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, yeah, this sort of thing. Um, and Kate, when you spoke, if you can remember, I don't know if you can or you can't, when you spoke to that first adult or, and, and 90% of the time a volunteer, you know, yeah. who's been trained up, um, but by no means a complete expert in, in, in the field uh, um, that they were in, just trying to do their bit, I suppose. Um, do you recall what they said to you? You said you couldn't articulate the words. Just my grandfather isn't doing nice it's things. He's a bad man. He's a bad it's, man. It's okay. not been, um, there wasn't really much interaction. It was like, it, what I loved about it was there wasn't this immediate need to find out who I was and tell adults. It was a space. I do, you see, this is the thing. I've mixed up memories on the different times I phoned, but I remember there just being, are you Okay. Do you need to say more? Do you know? And it was just, and I was like, please, please don't tell my mommy. Please don't tell my Jesus. daddy. No, we won't. We're just going to listen to you. That was the, mm. the, the crux of it, basically. And it is exactly what I needed. Um, I think I mentioned something along the lines of telling my best friend that my best friend knew. Mm. And they were like, that's very good. But at some point, maybe you might tell an adult, but only when you feel safe to do so. Mm. And there was no 
because a lot of the time I think you're wise as a kid to adults interrogating and you're especially if you've been abused you are watchful and mindful of every single thing in a room I can tell you I still have it I can like everything in a room pick up on vibes emotionally pick up on vibes which is not necessarily a good thing it can be like mm. a bit like difficult but that just it's, it's just something so simple as someone hearing you do you know what I mean and I, like that's it and I that was a few was that a year or two years before it's probably two years before I disclosed I suppose we might as well talk about that as well mm. like um coming up on this podcast once we start the series um we're going to have my mum on the podcast yeah. because one of the big things that myself and Orla have been talking about is how it's it, it may have physically happened to me and emotionally happened to me but it also has impacted a circle of people and I think it would be really interesting to hear how that was for them without it being from the perspective of me or looking at me I want a space that like my mother can say what what happened for her how that was for her I want a space where hopefully my friend may come on this or might write a letter and say how that was for her. I haven't seen her in a number of years. We were primary school friends. Um, I have wrote, I have written to her and said to her, like, I really, I, I don't know how I would have survived without yeah. her as a friend, do you know? I want, I just want it to be like all of us, so if there's people listening to this and you've had abuse happen in your family, you know that it's not just you. And it sometimes can be too raw to hear how it hurt your mother or your father. Yeah. But I think that this podcast needs to give all of these voices a place. Um, so that's kind of what's important for me. And that. also, if you are listening, I mean, Kate's story is about her grandfather, but it could be your mum or your dad that's doing this to you. And, you know, that there's no... And I think Kate and I have just talked about this, is that there's no five-star abuse. You know, you can't no. have... You can't have... I can't share that because what Kate has gone through is absolutely horrendous. Mm. And I only had a couple of things dodgy happen to me a couple of times. Yeah. That's it, it. There's no... Like, I'm better than you on this. Yeah. Like, that always used to be something... I mean, we've... Like, I just love the fact that we've had so many pre-chats around this. But it's like, for me, my abuse is not comparable to somebody else's. How your lived experience is yours. So if something happened to you once... Or if something happened to you repeatedly hundreds of times. Yes, there are different impacts on your psyche and how you manage the world around you. But it does not take away from your story. And you are heard and and believed. And that's that's what's really, really important. Also, like I presume there's going to be people listening to this who... It mightn't be childhood trauma that has happened to them. It might be adult mm. trauma. And there are so many parallels with it. And it's all always, for me, is about breaking the silence. I wanted to actually just go back on something as well. This podcast isn't about getting people to talk out it's about making you feel that if you wanted to you could mm. and if you chose to never talk out that you're comfortable and happy and know that you've been some people understand you it's you know like everyone has to choose what's right for them like it could be that a cousin abused you a brother abused you a sister abused you it could be any of those things none of it is comparable it is all mm. just your story and this is my story that we're using in some ways, to be able to open up the conversation, yeah, yeah, yeah. and again, just like there is, there's no, there's no proper way to become a survivor. There's just, you know, like somebody said to me about the pandemic. Oh my God, I, I just feel when I get up in the morning, I can't breathe because I need to be so productive, and I'm not doing enough during this time that we. And I'm like, if we can all wake up at the end of this and be alive and well, and have our loved ones alive and well around yeah. us, we've done it correctly yeah you know so but just 
I suppose, making um, making comparisons. But Kate, so let's go back. We, you were just going, we were going to talk about maybe just giving that insight into your your coming out or your speaking up, mm-hmm. how that came about. And um, again, it's about children standing up for children, really. Your this part of your story. Yeah, like so. The thing is that. Um, I had been, my parents split up when um, my little brother was five, or six, and my other brother was one. And it was a really bad breakup, and there was a lot of stuff going on there. And at the same time, I have a really complicated relationship with my father because I was really attached to him, and I was a real daddy's girl, if you want to put that on it. And it was his father that was abusing me. And basically, I didn't want to lose him. I didn't want to speak out about sexual abuse my biggest fear was was my grandfather used to I suppose this might be a bit heavy for people, but just let's just go with it. Um my grandfather used to say, This is our little secret and your daddy won't love you anymore and you'll lose them, you'll be taken away from them. And he used to sort of say this all the time, over years, and I swear to God, I think there's a I've often and I know this, I don't mean to joke about this, but I often think there's a handbook handed out to pedophiles. They just know they all seem to say yeah. the exact same thing. But anyway, um because my parents had already split up, I was then even more alert to the fact that I would lose my dad. And there was a lot of stuff going on. But basically, I began to understand more and more the facts of life. And uh, when I say understand the facts of life, that still is in a child's mind. It's still not actually understanding it. But it made me more and more aware that, no, my grandfather should not be so doing we, the things he's had, doing to me. <clears throat> excuse me. Had you guys started sex ed in school? or We had. Okay. Yeah, okay. we had a teacher in sixth class who had asked us to put in questions. And we were talking about periods and stuff like okay. that because it was an all-girls school. Um, now, obviously, I'm just going to correct myself there because the periods should be talked about with everybody. But yes, like this is yeah. back in 1990, you know. Um when there was phone boxes. When there was phone boxes and there was no cell phones or no, we didn't even call them cell phones, we called them mobiles. But um, yeah, um, so it was coming up to Christmas and that Christmas my dad was taking us to Waterford where my grandfather and grandmother lived. Um, you might notice that I say grandfather a lot because it's too personal to call him granddad. It feels that there's a, a thing there where I don't like calling him granddad. Well, I, find you know? it, I find you uh, outstanding that you can call him anything other than... Yeah. The title I would like to give him. Um, What's the title you'd like to give him? <laughs> just like dirtbag, wanker, yeah. fuckhead, <laughs> pedo, yeah. manipulative, yeah. bollocks. Yeah. Awful human. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. Can we bring that down a bit? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll stick with grandfather. Well, that's it. It's like grandad feels too personal and, okay. and happy go lucky, whereas mm. grandfather is like. Uh, I don't know, it's just, it's exactly what he wants. Mm. But, um, so, the Facts of Life stuff was happening. My best friend was listening to me, um, and me getting more and more anxious, like, um, I really realised and got present to how my I've had anxiety all my life and didn't know that I had it. Um, she said to me, if she basically issued me an ultimatum, if you don't tell your mum, I'm going to tell mine. Because she didn't want me going to Waterford and because the two of us had worked ourselves up into a tizzy. And fair enough why we had worked ourselves into a tizzy. So I needed that, you know, and I went into the kitchen and I'll never forget it, into the kitchen in the house. And my little brother had cut his knee. Mum had sat him up onto the kitchen counter 
and I couldn't get the words out and like you know they're just stuck in my throat um and I was like mom I need to talk to you and I had my head down and I was just so scared and I I couldn't I still actually couldn't properly tell her what was going on I couldn't tell her in any detail I just said mom granddad's doing things he shouldn't I mean, she might recall the words are slightly different, but in my head, that's it. It's mum, granddad's doing things he shouldn't be doing. Um, granddad's, and then she stopped and she said, what's she doing? And I could, I'd still remember the look of panic in her face. And uh, all I could manage to say was he kisses me when he really shouldn't. He, he kisses me. And I, I couldn't, I said, I think he said something like he touches me or whatever, but I, I could not say anything else. And I honestly, it was like this big lump in my throat. So it was said. And my mum, you know, I think there was nothing that she could have done that would have made that moment better for me um, because it was just so scary. Um, and it's funny that I became really ill after saying it, um, whether it was a flu or whatever. And then um, my grand or my dad arrived the next day to take us all to Waterford. Um, and I insisted on going to Waterford, basically. Um, yeah. Down to your grandfather's. Yeah. So the day that I told... So the thing is that my dad pulled up the car. He had a broken leg, so it was my aunt that was driving, or my uncle, I'm not sure who was driving that day. And um, my mum... I'd asked my mum not to tell my dad, and she was like, I have to tell him. And she was like, I'm not... You know, she didn't want me to go down unless I had told. Um, and, like, there was all of... there was if Basically, she didn't want me to go down... And I was insisting on going down. Now, there is still an element, and she knows this. There's an element where I don't care what she says about how insistent I was. And I know mm. I was a forceful uh, young adult, so, but I shouldn't have gone to Waterford. Also, after I had disclosed, Jenny's mum called and um, she told my mum. So that's a, that is definitely what you're talking about, a friend standing up for you. Mm. It was... It was it's pretty mind blowing, really. Yeah, it is, and and I think because <clears throat> you had said it to me about um go going down to your grandfather after this, and like I I think my I was looking at you with my mouth open, going where the hell was your mother, and what the hell was she thinking, and um and I think that's when you and I said that that's that story needs to be included. She mm. needs to have and it, so that we can hold everybody and yeah. understand where everybody was. Yeah. Um, and is still with this um, and I think like do you know what's come up for me loads through the pandemic as well people make mistakes mothers make mistakes fathers make mistakes people make mistakes and the thing is they're only human mm. my mum I don't know if she actually ever got out of the shock of that do you know and, the, and then the whirlwind of making herself wrong all the time and trying to do the right thing and not knowing and I forgive her hugely. Mm. I like my mum didn't. There was no bad intent. I know that she regrets it, and I forgive her completely. Mm. But it is that it's holding the space for other people. Mm. Um, but yeah, the going down to Waterford was. By the time I got to Waterford, I I get this psychological um thing where a stress uh, all cold sores appear, and. Uh, I got down to Waterford and my dad hadn't spoken to me the whole way down. Okay, let's go, go back here because I was just thinking yeah. there, Kate. So your dad comes to collect you. Your mum tells your dad. I get into the car with my brothers. Yes. My parents now, like there's been numerous court cases. It is 
not a good place. It's not a good breakup. Oh my God, it's okay. probably one of the worst breakups. Think War of the Roses or whatever that film <laughs> is, right? Um, like seriously. Yeah. <laughs> but um, my dad was standing at the door and my mom told him, um, I... I think that is the one of the most scariest things I've ever experienced was sitting in the car knowing that everything was changed forever. It was gone. It was done. And my dad got into the car and he looked at me and I interpreted that look as being anger. Um, I don't know what it actually was for him, but my interpretation was anger and fear and he didn't speak to me the whole way down. So the whole way down to Waterford, it was the loneliest, isolated and also cramped at the edge of a seat in a car. Um, because you know back then we broke the rules and mm. not everyone was buckled in but um yeah so I went into Waterford into the house and um the only thing I was that was said to me was that you know you're not to say anything to your grandmother which is ironic because my grandmother knew I was being abused for most of the abuse so I just sat there in silence in my head going you have no idea how do you know that your grandmother knew she walked in she walked into the room a number of times when he would have been abusing me. One particular time, um, I used to try and be a slow eater or a fast eater because we'd have this big lunch. And this is the thing. The lunches in my grandmother's house were fabulous and I love my food. But I'd be put sitting beside my grandfather and he would put his hand under the table and hold my leg, but hold me in place. That was all he would do. And everyone's just working away as normal eating their lunch. And then I might be really slow because there would be talk of them going out on a walk and I might be trying to say, oh, I have a headache or whatever. But what would happen is I would be left on my own with my grandfather who, I'll wait for Kate to finish. And as soon as everyone was out of the room, he would, you know, he'd kiss me. And when I, you know, kiss is a word that we associate with something lovely. Mm. Uh, this was really obviously not lovely um, to the point of I couldn't breathe a lot of the time. But my grandmother came in and I'll never forget it. She looked at him. Because he sort of had picked me up at the stage. And uh, she looked at him and she just said, like she was wild in her eyes, like cross at him. But she was like, I've told you this is to stop. And that was something else, you know. Like I'm still in complete fight or flight mode. So my brain is retaining this information. But I don't know what to do with it. I'm a kid, you know. So going back to the disclosing weekend and it's Christmas and I'm in the house and I'm very sick and I'm you know in a way it was my body protecting me my body was taking me out of the circumstances and I'm in the talk about having out of body experiences my body just shut down and I went to sleep in the smallest room in the house because I still to this day small cozy spaces where someone can't just come and stand over me do you know what I mean small cozy places to make myself feel safe and I think I still struggle with the fact that they all left the house, left me on my own with him. And I woke up to him standing above me. He didn't abuse me in that way. He Sorry. just abused me psychologically that way. So the, the weekend that they all went out for a walk and left you alone in the house with your grandfather. Yep. And my dad had known. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. Like, this is the thing, I suppose, true. And we know that this is a pilot episode. Yeah. Like... I suppose I'm going to definitely say that in the full series, we're going to have therapists. We're yes, going to have yeah. Tusla. We're going to talk about the process of this. Yes. But I guess talking about my story is what can open up that conversation for other people. Yeah. You know, um, there's a whole load of things that I know people 
pull their hair out when they hear me talk and I go to the place of smiling and it's grand because it's the only way that I know how to react yeah. or to be okay to talk about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've, you've, you've had that facade on from the age of whenever three or prior yeah. to that that you've smiled through. Um, you told me a, a story about a picture and we'll, we'll get this up on the website of, mm. of you in the beach and, uh, and I haven't seen the picture yet but that you know you've got this big happy head in mm. you and you can remember the sand your feet in the sand yeah. and the feel of that mm. but you knew that in 45 minutes you were going to be abused yeah yeah I find that um, yeah very powerful um it's how, Just, how you survive it. Yeah. You know, it's you compartmentalize and mm. I still do that as an adult. Mm. And I find that when I start to feel unsafe, I start getting into rigid structures and then it life becomes impossible because you have to be freer than just trying to control your surroundings, you know? Yeah. But um, like back to that weekend and the weirdness of it all. And then the day that we were leaving... My dad chose to talk to my grandfather about it. And what I was told, he said, was, well, you've really fucked things up for me now. My dad said to my grandfather, which I think is... Referring to his separation from your mum? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, nice. You know, no, like nothing else. No, mm. like, yeah, it was just kind of mad. And then I was made to give my grandfather a kiss goodbye. And I left and I never saw him again. Um, and I have seen my granny. Okay. Is your grandfather alive? No, he died in 1994. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, throughout the series, we'll talk about the process, what mm. happened, and how, I suppose it's just really important to talk about those uncomfortable things. Because I think you kind of realise that, like, even if it's not sexual abuse you're going, you've gone through, you might have gone through some psychological stuff. Mm. It's just like, yeah, you're, you know, this has happened. I think, Kate, anybody who's listening to this, when you say you might have gone through some psychological stuff, you you really did go yeah, through some know, psychological stuff. Uh, you don't have to second guess yourself on that one. <laughs> yeah, let's true. just let's just make that a given. And again, it's it's um, moving forward. This will be done in as sensitively as we can, but it's going to be brutal at times. Mm. It's going to be very very fucking honest, and. Um, yeah, we're, we're, there's going to be no more hiding behind, and I'm doing this in inverted commas, the mm. shame that the, that the victim, our survivor, holds. It's not, and Kate has said this to me, that like it's like a chain around her neck, and it doesn't belong to her. This mm. needs to go back to her grandfather, and unfortunately for Kate, that's not possible at the moment, or would you well, disagree with me? I disagree with you, because... Like, I get why it's impossible in terms of he's physically dead. Mm. But the thing is, there's going to be so many people listening to this who their abuser's dead. Yeah. Or their abuser is, you know, never going to be held to account. Yeah. Because to be to get a case to court, there is some amount mm. of hoops to be jumping in. And we'll examine that yeah. as well. Why it's why the, the victim survivor is the one who's nearly punished inside in a courtroom. Totally. We'll, we'll be exploring that. But, like, to go back to how... Um, this, this thing I carry, there are parts of it that are mine and I'm like it's, it's entwined in me. Mm. So I, I can't get rid of it mm. because to get rid of it would actually get rid of a bit of me, mm. which some people find a controversial thing to say. It's not that I wish this had happened or, or not wish that this had never happened or, or all these things, but it is accepting it, accepting, yep, yeah, this happened to me and this is the reason why 
some situations occur to me like that. This is why I have complex PTSD reactions to things. Mm. Um, but I can, by speaking out, all the shame goes on him. His memory, his legacy is tarnished because mm. the truth is out. And that's important to me. Yeah. Do you know? The memory of who my grandfather is, no one will give a shit who he is. Do you know what I mean? There's hardly any people who, who knew him now alive. Do you mm. know what I mean? Or, well, there's the, the Harding family. Do you know what I mean? But for me, it's like, yeah, it's not just, oh, Kate coasted along and her grandfather existed. Mm. You know, like, no, my grandfather was a paedophile. I think it's important too for the adult Kate to stand up for the, the kid Kate and just go, it wasn't your job to protect all these adults mm. around what was happening to you. Mm. Now we're, we're just going to do this and mm. get it out there and help the little Kate. And it's funny when you are, it's, it's so funny to sit here in front of you because when you do speak or when you did speak about that incident at the dinner table and your grandfather touching your leg and holding you in place, I literally saw that a little girl looking back at me. There was mm. a little girl talking to me. Mm. It's not the adult that I see in front of mm. me now. It's incredible how you're just drawn back to that because you're trying to, I suppose for me, I'm trying to like, not justify it in my head, but kind of come to terms like, what the fuck yeah. is going on? This is a child. Yeah. The most vulnerable in our society and one of the most vulnerable people in our society. And yeah. I know. Like, that's the thing with, with abuse and childhood abuse. It's very difficult to wrap your head around it. Yeah. Except for those of us who walk the walk of it. Yeah. And it's something that happened. Yeah, but like, and again, this is this is why we're doing this, is to, for the likes of me to get the fuck over myself <laughs> and go, this isn't, like, you can't not talk about this because you don't understand it and you feel so bad for somebody. Yeah. This has to be talked about. That's exactly it, because this goes back to one of the things that in our first, um, we, we started sending messages to each other about what we feel we could we were trying to figure out whether this is going to be a talk like a, a talk in front of people or um you know like a, a tv program or whatever mm. and as we've turned it into this the podcast for now right worked out the, during a pandemic like yeah exactly but the thing that uh, i said to you was i am and i have been fed up of you see a headline in a newspaper you go online to a digital newspaper and there's a column about uh, horrific abuse. And very rightly, most of the comments are really coming from a place of caring. Like, oh my God, the poor creator, all that sort of stuff, mm. right? But reading that as a victim and a survivor of sexual abuse, it fucking annoys me. Mm, yeah, I can't help but be real about that. It really annoys me. And it, it's not that I know don't know that it comes from a good place. What I hate is seeing your life is ruined. Their life is ruined. Though their childhood is damaged. They're ruined goods now, like they have no future. These are the things that people mm. comment. I'm sorry, but I have a future. I'm not damaged. As I said at the start of this, there's a, I think the term fracture is what I like using at the moment because it makes sense. It's like I'm healed and I'm putting things, it might be a splinter or something in the wrong place mm. and I'll put it back where it should be. But like nobody's life is over. You are not broken. You are not damaged. You are not living into a future where the world is bleak for you because you were tarnished. You're not any of those things. And that's what I really, really feel powerfully about. Um, and that people who want to express their sadness or express the reality of, Jesus, that was shit. Mm. 
that is more powerful. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Like the people, I've had people throughout my life just sit there with their mouths open. I remember one of my best friends who I went to school with, uh, secondary school with, I was in New York two years ago and I was there with her and her fella and um, they lived there and we were in Grand Central Station having a whiskey sour as you do. And what was really funny is that I've known this person for most of my life, 27 years, and she didn't know my story because I'd forgotten who I told things to and who I hadn't told things to. So I told her a few things and she's just sitting there and I'm in New York and her mouth's open. But do you know what her response was? That's fucking shit. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. You know, there wasn't, you're broken. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I suppose because we're Irish and people don't know. It's like people, you've experienced your mum died. Mm. And people don't necessarily know how to talk to you about yeah. that. And it's like, it's the same kind of thing. It's people say the wrong thing for trying to do the right thing. Mm. You know? But I think it was pointed out to me with my thing, and and I shared this with you, that with, you know, um, all your life will never be the same without her or you'll never fill that void uh the place is so lonely that somebody said to me that's their emotion around the death of your mother Mm. it's not it doesn't belong to you yeah that they can't see a future without her Mm. they will never the void of her will never be filled for them Mm. you know don't take that from Mm. them this is them and that really helped me a lot Mm. and i think that that's so applicable it's the same thing yeah with a very different subject yes it's it's the same thing it's that other people's reactions are theirs they don't belong to me totally but the thing that is different is that you're reading about say the house of horrors and dawkey and you yourself have had an awful lot of abuse happen to you mm. and you won't speak up and you won't speak out ever because in doing so you admit in that world that you're broken. Yes. So it can perpetuates the silence yeah. and then that means perpetrators operate. Yes. Freely. Yeah. Because it's the shame is in the wrong place. Yes. That's what it's all about. Yeah. It's being free from that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's very powerful. Um, you also said to me, Kate, that the your language around it changes, you know, like the, the word victim and mm. survivor, like you'd want to knock somebody's head off if you heard those. And now totally different. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I had a real, real problem with the word victim mm. for years up until I think the last couple of months. And I realized that it's just what so I was a victim of childhood sexual abuse. I am a survivor mm. of childhood sexual abuse. I'm all of those things. And I understand that people take the survivor word because it empowers them. But actually, victim, that word doesn't scare me anymore. That word does not make me feel like I'm a weakling. Mm. It's just, no, that's something that happened that I was a victim to. I was a victim of a crime. And that's the truth. Mm. Um, I used to sort of say victor because I'm having a victory over it every day. Yeah. But then I thought about that and I like that and some people can take that on for where they're at. Right now in my life, I'm like, yeah, I was a victim of this and I survived it. And that's what works for me right now. And then you'd, you've done it with broken and, and yep. fracture. You yep. know, you have that. Yeah. And again, let's just go, there's no right way or wrong way to, to be a survivor or a victim. It's None just, whatsoever. Just, it's is a personal story and yeah. um, we'll do the best that we can. Um, and our, our biggest... Um, passion I think in this is that we are as loving and caring and kind and supportive to anybody who's listening to this that has um their own story to tell their own words behind it um and that you know we're we we are here to give you a platform of sorts 
and if you want if that's what you choose if you don't want a platform that's um your thing as well and uh yeah we're we're i uh, a funny thing to say is looking forward to to moving, creating to this. creating this because you know, we're both very excited we both feel very passionate about it and we both really um want that those words shame and life over and everything to fuck off mm. and be with the person it belongs to um and and not the Kate or me or anybody else yeah, yeah. completely we realize that people listening to this may be impacted and affected by the subject matter and if you have been and you want to reach out here are some useful numbers and websites for you to uh, access uh, we have the Rape Crisis Centre, 1800-355-355. Tusla Child and Family Agency, www.tusla.ie. Women's Aid, 1800-341-900. The HSE, CARE, Families Affected by Child Sexual Abuse, the number is 1890-924567. And if you need to report a child sexual abuse, 1800-55-5222. And finally, Childline, there's a free text to 50101 or free phone 1-800-666666. Yep. So do all of those agencies, even if they're, even if your story is not matching the agency, they will be able to direct you in a place that will help. Um, now we want to create this series, and this was our introduction, I suppose. Um, in order to do that, we want and need funding, and we have set up a GoFundMe page. If you would like to contribute to the series, to creating the series, you can go to www.gofundme forward slash We Stand Podcast. Because we called the podcast We Stand, Orla. <laughs> we did, Kate. <laughs> so we did come up with a name. Um, we are going to donate 10% of everything uh, to um, charities such as Childline or uh, Women's Aid in Ireland. And what we hope to do is fundraise enough that we have uh, the capabilities to create and pay our contributors um, and pay ourselves too. And when we have the series up and ready, we will be looking to put it onto various platforms and monetize it. When we do that, we will also be giving to charity as well as creating some earnings for ourselves. So that's us up front, straight up, that's us. Thanks, guys.